He was a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was the top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. So Patton, though. Yeah. So, welcome to the inaugural episode of Bull- Booze and Bullets. So, first, massive shout out to uh, History Buffs, the YouTube channel. Huge inspiration to us. We love you, History Buffs. If you guys haven't checked out his YouTube channel, please do. He is honestly one of the best historical movie uh, YouTube YouTubers out there. It's amazeballs. What was the first thing that you, like watched of history bus where it's like i need to pay more attention to this shit i think it was waterloo actually waterloo but, was good yeah uh like i had seen the movie before and i was like oh my god this is amazing and then when he delved into it i was like this guy is actually amazing um but Patton. so this is the inaugural episode so Patton is a movie that we have started to watch i've watched before well wait real quick what is our podcast so our podcast is about war movies while drinking, basically. Yarn. Yeah. Um, so, we've seen Patton before, both of us, but it has been a while. When was the last time you watched it? I think it was five or six years ago. That's better than me. It's been like, it's. I feel like it's been over ten years for me. Honestly, one of the best war movies you could see. A huge um, influence on me, honestly. like George S. Patton is one of the greatest American field commanders that you can ever look up to in terms of like, oh hey, here's our tactics. Here's how we're going to kick the Germans' ass. And it's like, alright, you're alright. Um, in my book. Um, going going off of this, so the regulations that Patton had where it's like, okay, you're not wearing any, any leggings, you're not wearing any ties. Yeah, no, as soon as he rolls into the camp, well, was it, he, he rolls into uh, uh, Morocco right uh tunisia tunisia yeah he rolls in and he's just like why are you all such ragamuffins because it's like yeah no they got they got like naked posters of ladies up in the barracks like they serve breakfast whenever the fuck they want i mean it's still pretty early from like six to eight like that's still pretty early in terms of military time but he's like yeah by six by zero six fifteen y'all are gonna be closed and it's just Dude, like that's so fucking hardcore where it's like we are open at six we are closed at 6 15 if you're not here for breakfast you're not getting it <laughs> and it's like oh okay cool i guess no but it's also like okay you're not wearing any ties you're not wearing leggings like Patton was a huge person about regulations so it's like oh you're not in regulation fine like there's a bill malden strip check it out on your own where it's like all right here's this list of fines where it's like x number of dollars if you're not shaved x number of dollars if you're not wearing a tie x number of dollars if you're not wearing leggings and one of the protagonists is like hey why don't we just take the long way around and avoid all the shit because he's like super unshaven super you know not wearing his leggings not wearing a tie but pat was a hard ass on regulations or just like yeah if you're in the fucking rear with the gear fuck you fucking better dress proper no and it myself i like you know i'm not in the army i honestly don't like it when people tell me to dress correct but in the context of world war ii in north africa i get it i mean it was kind of like hey we want to maintain unit discipline we kind of want to you know ensure this kind of cohesion within us and it's like okay i see where you're coming from but you're kind of being a mad dick right now but i respect you for being a mad dick no i do too and it, it's a thing about the movie where it's like it, it led to that place where it was carl malden when he like went out with him and he had the the whole like past wives conversation <laughs> 
It was just like, oh no, I, I was here and I, I fought and I fought the Romans at Carthage. Yeah, I mean, it's like the whole past life of Carthage. So the battlefield he was standing on was the Battle of Zama. So, which well, was... The, wait, real quick, what was the Battle of Zama? So the Battle of Zama was the turning point of the Second Punic War. So the Second Punic War was the de- decisive um, battle about who's going to control the Western Mediterranean. Rome or Carthage. And, you know, Hannibal comes down over the fucking Alps like a fucking madman that he is. Or it's just, like, a Roman sentry's like, yo, what the fuck is that, like, gray thing with the fucking, like, big ass... <laughs> you know, with, with, with the tentacle and sword face. <laughs> and it's like, and the commander's like, nah, that's something new. I ain't never seen that before. <laughs> and basically, like, he wrecked shit over the entire Italian peninsula. Like, the Battle of Cannae was a massacre. It was basically like, okay, we're gonna, you know, massacre an entire of, like, three-fifths of an entire Roman, like, army. And the Romans were like, okay, we're gonna regroup next year. And Hannibal was just like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, you have to fight me now. Don't go. Where are you going? You're you're having to surrender. We're at your house. Like, why are you leaving? And it's like, bye. (laughs) Bye. And it's like, it's just like, and Zalman was basically like, Hannibal was like, all right, we're going to land at North Africa's shores. And basically what... Surprise Pikachu. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it was a surprise Pikachu meme where it was just like, oh shit. And so Hannibal gets recalled back to Carthage and he's like, oh my god, we can't deal with this shit. Hannibal, please. So they they organized their entire line, you know, standard Roman uh, tactics. So the standard Roman tactics at the time, so you had the Velites or Willites in proper Latin, in the front. They're the skirmishers, so they're the light infantry. They just throw a few javelins here and there. They're just to break up the uh, infantry. Then you, before, after that, you have the Hastati. So they're the younger people. So people around, oh, even younger than me. So we're talking like 18 years old, 22 years old. Um, and then after that, you have the Principes. So they're people like 22, 24. So pretty seasoned. Like, they've gone through a few campaigns. And then after that, you have the Triarii. Uh, which are basically the last reserve. So they're like, they're seasoned veterans. Like, we're talking about mid-20s to early 30s. And so the Hostati and Precapes throw their pila, engage in close quarters, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the Carthaginians still have elephants at this point. But, you know, Romans are used to dealing with elephants. They're like, eh, elephants, eh, that ain't no shit. What turns the battle at Zama is the Numidian cavalry. So N- Numidia being Berber cavalry. So they're North African cavalry. They're highly adept at light, light cavalry skirmishing. So they would toss javelins. They're kind of meant up to, you know, be mobile hit and run people. And they retreat back. They actually defect from Carthage to Rome. <laughs> and it's just like, holy shit. And the whole battle just turns right then and there. But what saves the battle is the fucking Triarii. They're just like... No, we're just going to plant our fucking Hastata in the ground, which are long spears. Not the Pila that we're used to, but, like, Hastata are, like, traditional spears, so. They plant their spears in the ground, and it's like, alright, you got fucking elephants? We got the fucking Triarii. No, it's like charge it. The, you know, the elephants will run, but the sticks aren't moving. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with horses, too. Like, you get those fucking spikes in the ground, and the horses are like, nah, nah, we're not going to do that. Um... Well, it's all, it randomly, it's part of how, also how, like, uh, Alexander won the Battle of Galgamela, where it's yeah. just, like, understanding horse psychology. Yeah. Well, it's, like, basically his thing is, like, when the scythe chariots came through, his infantry just made gaps when the horse scythe uh, chariots were coming through. It's just, like, 
All right, we're just gonna make gaps. Cool. No, and what's like what I love even more about this is like Patton was like, and I was there. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> really, really. Carl Malden, who plays like his second in command, is just like, um, and he's like, dude, don't worry. He about plays it. Omar Bradley, it. actually. Yeah, who's Omar Bradley? So Omar Bradley was in North Africa, Patton's second in command, brilliant general. So he was Patton's second in command in North Africa. Um, ended up being Patton's superior officer during Wait, Normandy. He got out. What was it? He got promoted above Patton. Yes. How? <laughs> Because he was that fucking good. It, you know, it's where, it, like, you know, I'm sure the movie will go on to, yeah. like, why that happened. But, like, there's a part of me that's like, why? Obviously, George Patton is your Yoda. But he was, like... The but, notorious RSP, or GSP. Why? But, like, Bradley was... He was better at politicking. Which, in terms of a general, you kind of want, particularly in a multinational kind of coalition, is what you want. Which is why it's like, you know, you have Colin Powell or Norman Schwarzkopf as the head of the Operation Desert Storm. He's like, hey, I know how to gather all these nations together and kind of know what the fuck we're doing. And as opposed to like Patton, who's like, hey, I'm just going to slap a shell shock soldier and kind of, you know. Which he did. Yeah. He's like, hey, I have PTSD. Well, you're a fucking coward. I'm just going to fucking slap you right now. Which is, like, it, we know now is very counterintuitive, but at the time, it seemed very inspirational. At the time, <laughs> the soldier's father actually wrote Patton and said, you did the right thing. My son was a fucking coward. Damn. Like, it was, like, it was a big thing where it was, like, Eisenhower was, like, okay, I kind of need to have you apologize, but at the same time, you're kind of the best that I have. Like, even the Germans were, like, no, Patton is the fucking man. No, we had that whole thing where it was they weren't talking about Patton yet, but it was like it was the the second like interlude scene for the movie where you know Patton gets introduced to the North African troops, and then after that it just cuts to Erwin Rommel, yeah, the Desert Fox himself, just being like, I I can't take the chance that these Americans could possibly, like, like rally together. And, like, the dude who was already there was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. They're all fucking cowards. And Rommel's like, I don't know, man. No, like, that's the thing is, like, people underestimate American troops. We are, fuck we are fucking beasts, actually. Like, if you look at, like, World War One, World War Two, like, Rommel, as, as a veteran of World War One would have been like, okay, they fucking stopped us on their own and the Muse are gone offensive. Like, they pushed us back. I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna take my chances with the Americans. But I'm sure this this like the guy that I saw. He didn't have any generals uh, lapels on or anything like that. So he's like a fairly junior officer. Never experienced World War One. He's like, yeah, you know, the Americans not all that hot. And it's like, okay, but you've never experienced them. And like, you know, if Americans have a common unifying factor where we can actually like put all of our effort into it, we are a god-awful terror to to face no and actually the, it, this is a good segue but like the the opening scene of this film where it's just Patton talking over an american flag like he he like d ascends stairs and then appears over a static image of an american flag that you just stare at for a minute and then he delivers that speech which i'm 
I'm not going to lie to you. I Before I ever saw this movie, I knew about this speech because of a Sesame Street movie. Have you, have you ever seen Follow That Bird? No. It is amazing. No, it's Bird. Uh, Big Bird gets captured, but like, it, there's a whole opening to that movie where Oscar the Grouch shows up before an American flag in his trash can, and he's like, "Now brace yourself, I'm gonna sing," and he does the the Grouch national anthem. But it's like it's it's a parody. It's a straight parody of that scene, which has been parodied over and over again, and it's just the general standing in front of the flag talking. Well, it's um the most famous thing that I could think of is The Simpsons. Yep. <laughs> Where, like, Bart goes to war, and it's, like, basically Bart plays General Patton, and it's just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm all about that. He has this thing where it's like, what's wrong with you, soldier? It's my nerve. Nerves, you're just a fucking coward. And then, you know, he slaps in, and then, and, you know, his grandpa Abe Simpson is like, yeah, you know, you can order them off a cliff, you can order them to die for their country, but for some reason, you just can't slap them. <laughs> And it's like, that honestly makes a lot of sense for some reason. And even in this, like, in the, in the current military, from what I've read, like, you can't even make people in basic training do push-ups as remedial punishment. Is that a thing? Yeah. You can't do that anymore? No. Because it's, my... it's considered hazing. My PE teacher used to do that. Where it's like, hey, fuck you, do push-ups. No, like, that's what my martial arts teacher used to do. Where it's like, fuck you, drop and give me 20. And I'm like, alright, I don't even mind. And I'm not going to lie, I was embarrassed. I'm a fat guy. So, like, doing push-ups means, it's like, drop and give me 20. And it's like, how about, like, five, but, like, the lady way? <laughs> See, I would do, like, 20, and I'd be like, all right, what's next? Oh, dude, you're just, you're, you're too disciplined for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm too military for you. <laughs> no, but, you know, there's, there's a thing about the movie that's, like, um that whole opening speech where it's like I by the end of it I was like yeah kill Nazis it's one of my favorite quotes of Patton that you brought up before the thing do you want to uh, it's like we're gonna run through them like shit through a goose yup and it's like I don't to die for your country I want you to make some poor dumb bastard die for his country which I really love because I feel like that's a it, there's a deal with like you know it's like oh you should always be down to die for your country and Patton was like I'm not about that I don't want I don't want to lose my troops if I don't yeah. need to yeah what I want is for my troops to win. Yeah. <laughs> and I want them to kill Nazis. And it's like, although Patton was also super hardcore anti-Soviet. Yeah. Which I'm sure we'll get into later. Like, oh, it's the, like very tail end of the movie. Um, was it uh, about the production though? Uh, was it, I know for, I know that uh, Francis Ford Coppola wrote the screenplay for this. Yes. I, what was up with George C. Scott? The guy who played Patton. So George C. Scott... Very famous character character actor. Like, have you ever seen, you know, Dr. Strangelove? He played... I feel like Dr. Strangelove might be a complete inverse of this character. Like, and it came after where he's just like, I came I'm, gonna after... do Do- I'm gonna do Dr. Strangelove, but I'm not gonna be Patton. <laughs> but he kind of is at the same pu- at the same time. <laughs> he's general turgid. He, well, he's like, um, <laughs> he's, um, basically the character that I've found the most connection to is, uh, uh, Curtis LeMay. Or basically it was, um, Curtis LeMay was the Air Force commander at the time during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Curtis LeMay was like, how about we just nuke Cuba? How about we don't? <laughs> and Kenny was like, LeMay, no. And LeMay was like, LeMay, yes. <laughs> and it was, it was a big back and forth, but... We had a lot of Leroy Jenkins in the Army during the Cold War, didn't we? Army and Air Force, yes. <laughs> well, except Army, not so much. 
Because most of, at the time, up until the 60s, most of the heads of the army had served in World War II were, like, generals in World War II. So it's like, okay, we know what the fuck we're doing because we've seen the destructive power of, you know, the atomic bomb. So we're not going to try to do this. How about no? How about maybe no? <laughs> oh, except for MacArthur, who was like, how about we nuke China during the Korean War? And Truman was like, how about no? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, it was it, Truman authorized the dropping of two atomic bombs, and the sheer amount of time he denied it after that is, it's amazing to me in terms of restraint. Actually, he didn't deny the first one. He's like, yeah, we, you know, we have tested an atomic bomb, like we've dropped an atomic bomb on Japan. The second one was denied, but the first one was not, because it's like, hey, you know, we just didn't announce to the world, we can fucking end you. Well, no, it also, like, it makes more sense than, you know, and it's a thing that's fucked up where it's like no one's down with nuclear death. Yeah. But, like, Operation Olympic would have killed more people, which was the planned oh, yeah. invasion of Japan. Oh, God. Where it's like, hey, what if we just bring all of our, what if we just D-Day Japan from all angles? And it was like, actually, that would have killed a lot more Japanese it was and like, Americans. It would have, I think, like, the combined casualties were over a million people and the war would have continued for, like, another year maybe year and a half so honestly like people argue about this all the time the atomic bombs were the right call where it's just like how about we just end the war real quick and kind of like just do that and they're like uh, we don't want to do this anymore it's like great neither do we <laughs> although chill honestly the other thing that caused the factor of the japanese to surrender to the americans the japanese have actually never surrendered to the russians yeah um but the reason they surrendered to us is because the Soviet invasion of Manchuria. So, and on, on I think I think August 9th, I want to say, or August 11th, the Soviets poured into Manchuria, and the Japanese were like, "Okay, we can't deal with you know two atomic bombs and the Soviet invasion of Japanese territory." So, hey Americans, can we surrender to you real quick? That'd be great, buddy. And Americans are like tight. Also, you can keep your emperor. And the Japanese like, awesome. Cool. <sighs> and Hirohito was like, okay, I'm not, you know, divine emperor anymore. Can I just be, like, a marine biologist? Cool. He became a marine biologist after yeah. that? Yeah. That was his passion. That's nice. I feel like people should follow their passions more than running countries. <laughs> and, like, super nice dude, actually, from, like, like people actually loved him in Japan. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna be a simple marine biologist. I'm just gonna, you know, do my shit and kind of run Japan on the side. And it's like, cool. Tight side hustle. Yeah. Weird flex, but okay. Speaking of weird flex, I love the, um, was it in the, uh, in Patton where, uh, he was talking to the British soldier. Oh, the British general, yeah. Oh my god. It was so hilarious where he, the British guy is just like, I'm sure you have no idea what's going on here. And then just the fucking Luftwaffe come in and start shooting up the entire town. And Patton, and, like, he hides under a table for a minute, but then he jumps out a window and starts firing his sidearm at the fucking Germans. And, like, and then he's like, if I had met those boys, I'd give them a fucking medal. And then the generals are like, we don't need a fucking casualty, we need a corps commander. And he's just like, Leroy Jenkins! A Leroy Jenkins! And it's like, God damn it, George, we don't need this right now. No, and it's, I love the setup for this movie where it's like, that's how it goes, where it's like, oh, he shows up, whips everyone into shape, waxes poetic about how he's a reincarnated Carthaginian soldier, and then fires at a fucking Nazi or, plane. Either that or... With a, a pan gun. 
Either that or a Roman soldier. We don't know exactly. You're right. We don't. No, he just he's no. He just says this is where the battle happened, and I was here. Yeah, that's like honestly, I could see him more as a Roman soldier, given his aggressiveness. I'm like, yeah, he's a Roman. A little bit. No, and also because the Romans won. Yeah. They salted the earth, and Carthage was no more. Because remember, as Patton said, Americans never lose a war. Well, womp womp. And we're back. Um, we were a little too inebriated last time we did this. Oh, no, what are you talking about? You were fine. <laughs> um, so, leaving off of this point, so what we've watched so far is the Battle of El Guitar, um, which has probably the best line in the entire movie, where uh, Patton is observing uh, Rommel's, Rommel's Corps, the Africa Corps, um, coming through and... He looks at them and he says, Rommel, you magnificent bastard, I read your book. Which is why, kids, if you ever join the military and become a general, never publish a book. No, people will have to read it forever. Also, I kind of love that idea. Like, I kind of have this thought, too, about Sun Tzu, like with the Art of War, where it's like, I am a a brilliant military tactician. Let me write down how you win battles. If I were ever fighting you, I would read that book and not do that thing. Yeah, no, I mean... I mean, Patton, Patton, I don't think, yeah, Patton, I don't think ever published any written books, ever. I mean, it's not a big American general kind of thing to, like, publish a book or anything like that. They're just like, yeah, we're just gonna, you know, spread freedom everywhere. Yeah, didn't Norman Schwarzkopf do a book? He did. Also, H.R. McMaster, talking about Vietnam. Um, So we've had a couple. It's just not usually a thing American generals do. I mean, there are, like, biographies on them, but they never, like, write books on like here's how you wage war or here's my experience of being in combat or whatever it's like no we're just gonna kick ass kick german ass and take names so um but yeah and then after el guitar um the history behind this so right after this the germans are basically surrounded in tunisia um the americans take Bizerta and the british take tunis and basically it's like yeah the entire german africa corps just dissolves like, we ended up netting, I think, like, quarter of a million German POW, German and Italian POWs. We are just like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, oh, I didn't know this was, like, for real. <laughs> and, you know, and then, of course, you know, right after the battle, El Guitar, finds out, oh, yeah, Rommel wasn't actually present at the battle, and Patton just gets, like, super pissed, and he's like, what, you mean I defeated Rommel and he wasn't even there? And it's like, and then his, his, his deputy, who's like, oh, like, probably his chief of staff is like, yeah, but he made the plan, so therefore, by defeating the plan, you defeat the man. And he's like, I'll take it. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll take that. I mean, it's a better victory than not a victory. Also, I kind of love that, the, just the fact that Patton was pissed that he beat this guy, and it's like, he's not even here. I was here. <laughs> I got out of bed and I came to work, Erwin. <laughs> Where were you, honey? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Patton, dear. I was, you know, in Germany, I had I had a little bit of an illness. <laughs> well, I read your book and kicked your ass, so <laughs> if you want a rematch, which I don't think is going to happen, right, because doesn't Hitler kill him? Uh, no, he was still at Normandy. Oh, wait, no, I think he was killed before Patton got in, killed. He, I think he killed himself before Patton got to Normandy. So this rematch was just ill-fated. Yeah, yeah. And then, so right after this, we get to... Invasion of Sicily, which was codenamed um, Operation Husky. Yes, like the dog. <laughs> it was, and it was a good boy. <laughs> it was. What they don't show about this, so 
the Allies land in Sicily, and it's basically like Italy goes, "Hey Germany, want to see a cool trick?" Italy has left the game. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, like right after we invade Sicily, the Italian king is like, "Arrest Mussolini." We are we are noping so hard out of this war right now. <laughs> I love I love it so much. <laughs> and you know what? I in random aside that just has to do with current politics, but I really hope current Italy can do the same with their Mussolinis. Yeah, I mean maybe it, we it, it's complicated. <laughs> oh Italy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like we landed and Italy's like we're just not gonna fight this war. Hey allies, you wanna you wanna work together? And Germany's like, Gott verdammt Italy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to pour more. And that's actually, so this invasion happened while the German Battle of Curse was happening on the Eastern Front. Oh, so basically this was not the time to be calling them with an I fucked up message. <laughs> yes. And so basically the German high, com- like Hitler basically had to tell the German generals like, we are putting a stop to Kur- Kursk, the Kursk offensive. Italy has dropped out of the war and the Allies invaded Sicily. And it's like, we need divisions there. Now. And it's like, Germany's like, makes sense. <laughs> we see what you're asking. <laughs> and We it, agree. Yeah. And it's funny because Hitler actually didn't want Kursk to happen. Like the German Germans were like, yeah, we'll do this. It'll totally work. You know, third time's a charm. Yeah. Barbarossa, yeah, yeah, we had some issues there. <laughs> Stalingrad, yeah, okay, we definitely had some issues there. But this one, for sure, we can break the Russians, hopefully turn this whole thing around. And it's basically like, you know, the Russian high command, allow us to introduce ourselves. <laughs> and, like, the, the Russian Battle of Kursk is a whole other topic. Like, it is, it, I mean, the Battle of Kursk, particularly one part, the Battle of Prokhorovka, is still to this day the largest tank battle in history. I think it was like hundreds of tanks just duking it out in the hot Russian summer. How is this not a movie? I don't know. Well, because Americans, mainly because it's like, well, we want to focus on our story because it's more relatable. But no, the Battle of Kursk is like, they do show it in a German miniseries called Generation War. And they show the Russian Katyusha rocket bombardment the night before Citadel happened. And if you've ever heard Katyusha rocket launchers, look it up on YouTube. Like, look up what they sound like. It is the most terrifying sound that you could ever hear in your life. They had the nickname from, I think, either the Russians or the Germans, or it was called Stalin's Organs. I, I'm glad they put an S on that. Or Stalin's Organ. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Now Stalin's it's just organ. Stalin's dick. Yeah. Stalin's Organ. And it was like, in terms of psychological effect, it was basically the psycholo- Russian equivalent of the Stuka in terms of psychological effect. Also, look up that siren sound. Like that, if you ever hear, look that up, it's like, oh, well, we're boned. The Stuka? Yeah, the Stuka dive bomber. Like, the siren is just like, well, we're fucked. (laughs) Um, And the other terrifying sound is, of course, from the German side, the MG-42. Nicknamed Hitler's Buzzsaw, which could pump out... I think still to this day, it has the highest rate of fire that I know of, of a single barrel machine gun. It could pump out 1,500 rounds a minute. Fuck! It was a beast of a machine gun. And the German army still uses it, basically, to this day. Huh. Called the MG3. Chambered in a different round, of course. Chambered in 7.62 millimeter uh, NATO instead of 7.92 millimeter um, Mauser. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrifying weapon. You're like my gun Yoda. Hitler's bus services. Star Wars would have been a very different movie. Oh, God. 
Um, but yeah, so we get to Operation Husky. So Monty's taking the southern part. So he's landing at Palermo. No, Patton's landing at Palermo. Palermo yeah. Um, uh, I want to say Monty's landing at Syracuse or Geta. Um, and they're basically making their way around the opposite ends of the coast to try to cut off the Germans, basically. Yeah, no, they're trying to get them from jumping onto the boot. Yeah. Like, off the soccer ball onto the boot. Yes. Um, and let's just say this, Patton and Monty had a contentious relationship at best. Oh dear, yeah. Um, I mean, granted, the reason being, both of these people had big egos, huge publicity kind of like megalomaniac kind of personalities. No, it keeps, like, and I love the movie for doing this, but it keeps cutting back between the both of them, and they're just bitching about the other. But, I will say this, you know, they might have, like, had their spats, but they both respected each other as generals. No, it almost seems like a dare. Like, yeah. it seems like two dudes who, like, work together who are, like, a little too competitive. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Patton's like, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take Messina first. Machi's just like, bet. He's like, fucking bet. Well, you can't, because the British are taking Messina. He's like, well, I'm going to take Messina. I just like, you can't do it. And he's like, I'm fucking got it. I meanwhile, and then meanwhile, Eisenhower's just in the corner like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> why, do, why do I get paired with these fuckers? And they're just like, because we're the best that you have. And he's just like, fuck, you're right. And meanwhile, Monchi's not even been promoted to field marshal at this point. Uh, he's still a general. Um... Eisenhower is, um, in effect, the um, supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force. Um, Eisenhower, bless his soul, I don't know how he dealt with all these people. He's just like, oh, I think that's why he probably got cancer, because he just had to smoke so much from, like, dealing with all this. <laughs> Dude, I'm like, this is a thing I like about the time, because yeah. as a smoker, I like watching movies where people smoke, yeah. because I'm, I'm just mind-controlled by movies to be a smoker. But anyways. Yeah, but it's like... But no, if I were in World War II, I'd want a cigarette, or five. Yeah, or 20. I wonder if that's, I don't know if you know this, but like Parliament cigarettes have the recessed filter, mm. and I heard that that happened because during World War II, the British needed something to like, a cigarette that they could like smoke while they're shooting. Mm. Like, repeating rounds, so it's like... Oh, so the machine so, gunner. Yeah, so they're, like, the machine gunner can be firing, and because of the recessed filter, they can just straight bite the end of it instead of biting through the filter. So you just hear it say, the Brit, like, Brit biting down, and it's like, Tally-ho! Yep. <laughs> and it, which is, you know, the British equivalent of get some. <laughs> which is still used to this day in the U.S. military, when you say get some. Tally-ho? No, get some. But I don't think tally-ho. Tally-ho's not... What do we look like? Do we look like we're still part of the 13 colonies? Come on now. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, it's basically like, it's basically like, the relationship between Monty and Patton is like, who has the biggest dick? Patton won the biggest dick award. He did. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and there's like, that one scene where, I'm not gonna lie to you, there are moments in this movie where, I'm not saying that it won't age well, because yeah. obviously you can look at it now as a portrait of the man warts and all. Yeah, it is. So you kind of do get that he's a little crazy, but there are a few scenes where he's like, like it's the one with him and I want to say Preston and Carl Molden. Oh yeah. But yeah, they're just all, uh, they're all talking about making this push and Carl Molden calls him out after Preston leaves where he's like, you just want to get there before Montgomery and you're, you're risking men's life to do it. Yeah. And then he kind of was doing that, but he was also there fighting with them. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's, it, he's a frontline general. It immediately cuts to him linking up with them again. Yeah. To be like, yeah, this way, you guys, we took the thing. Congratulations. Oh, it's like, and also looking him up, like, he actually fought very hard for his men. Like, he's like, 
hey, for people who are in the combat arms, I'm going to get you extra blankets, extra socks, extra rations. Like, you are, you guys are doing the heavy lifting. Like, fuck it, fuck the rear echelon people. Fuck the truck drivers. Fuck the cooks. Mm-hmm. We're going to get you extra shit. Which, like, you know, if you were in that position, it's like, you hear, like, this general doing this for you, you'd be like, oh, this guy's a fu- fucking awesome. Like, he's fighting for me. You know, he's, like, making sure that I'm, like, properly fed, properly clothed, mm-hmm. you know, all this. It's like, yeah, you know. And we, but we also still get to see the other side in the film, though, where yeah. it's like there's he's driving by all of the wounded men. Yeah. And what was the line that they had that was apparently a saying? Oh, uh, his his blood, or his, or our blood, his guts. Yeah, because he's passing by the one soldier, and he's yeah, the soldier who's wounded. He's got like a fucking gaping wound on his chest that's yeah. bandaged, and he's like, "Our blood, his guts." Like, yeah. Um, but Patton did actually show a lot of reverence for people who were wounded who were wounded he's like okay these guys you know gave it they're all you know fighting for me no it's like the tent scene if you'd cut it just a couple minutes early yeah it would have been just that like yeah. when he he walks in he picks the one guy he sits down he talks to him and the guy's like yeah i got shot in the chest and he's like well i got a german who didn't some, i saw a german who didn't have a chest some, some kraut bastard is missing his uh chest and his head so get well buddy yeah and, and then there was the guy, and it was like, yeah, he's like, boost of morale. Then there's the guy crying, and he just, he triple glove slaps him, loses the glove, and then just continues hitting him with his own hand. I mean, For yes. crying, for so, for being, for having PTSD. So yeah, that's a good segue <laughs> into the most controversial moment of Patton's entire military career. So, yeah, the story was like, some soldier obviously had PTSD. Like, a soldier, I think it's like, the U.S. military recommends that you can only put someone in combat society stain for like 60 days i want to say before their breaking point on average mm-hmm. some people might have a higher breaking point some people might have a lower breaking point but that's the average is like i think between 60 and 80 days of street combat like, uh, don't broach that we'll be fine yeah for the most part for the most part and so i mean this wasn't known by during world war ii like it wasn't necessarily known i think it was a little bit they're like okay. well no because they called it they called it shell shock at that point like people had noticed the wounded coming home from world I, war one having these world, issues. world war one was called shell shock and world war two was called battle fatigue okay yeah so, so it was, ptsd it was called ptsd by around after vietnam so yeah post vietnam was called ptsd is what we then we realized okay this is an actual medical thing but yeah then it was just considered like a psychological thing or it's like okay the man just broke which you know you also see in like band of brothers you see in a lot of countless war movies of like okay you get to see this character and kind of be like oh okay like this is what war does to someone man he slaps the soldier probably gonna get to the scene pretty soon but he slaps the soldier you know of course word gets out to like eisenhower and eisenhower's just like god fucking damn it george <laughs> God damn it. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> and so Patton is made to publicly apologize in front of his entire army. And so this is not like the army as in like the entire United States Army. An army is actually a unit designation. So in terms of like organizational levels, so you base the basic unit is the uh, platoon. So a platoon is like eh, 30 guys, 25, 35 guys. Then you have company level, which is 120, 200 people-ish people, 120, 150 people. Then you have a battalion, which is around a eh, thousand people. Regiment, which is like 1,500. And then brigade, division, corps, and then finally the army. And then, oop, and then after that, you have the army group. So it's like, and this just goes up and up and up. Like a division will have maybe like 
15, 20,000 men. It's generally considered the most basic level of organization within the United States Army. Like, an army would only be organized in wartime. Like, because you would combine, like, three or four divisions into, or, like, five or six. So this would be, like, 70, 80,000 men in a single organization. So we would only really use it in, like, on a scale of World War II or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. in Iraq, wasn't really used like that because this is an insurgency also so it's going to be mainly you know small scale insurgent fighting but like yeah world war ii we would have used it like that korea we would have also used it like that but yeah so Patton has apologized and turned in front of the entire seventh army which was not his most famous command which we'll get to later which is the third army in normandy so he has he's forced to apologize but ironically the boy's father wrote to Patton and said yeah you did the right thing my son was a fucking coward. It's like, thanks, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Way to throw your son under the bus for, for an American hero, dude. But, again, granted, probably also the guys... It's also a different time. That's yeah. like, uh, honestly, there are people I know who are alive today who would have the same reaction. Yeah. Like, who who would still say, thank you for whipping some sense into that kid. I just don't think that it's helpful. Yeah. But I understand that people think differently. I mean, I mean, it'd be, I would probably have a more similar response to, like, where we work if it was, like, during Rush and I saw someone crying and I'm like, fuck wrong with like get back out there you know this ain't even the worst of it <laughs> see i would just deliver verbatim the hawkeye monologue from age of ultron where he's like i'm a guy with a bow and arrow we're being attacked by robots none of this makes sense <laughs> basically i mean it's like but yeah so he's forced to apologize and then he's effectively sidelined until normandy like they're like we're just gonna keep you out of trouble <laughs> but the we will call you when we need some shit fucked up. <laughs> like, like we're talking foobar level shit. He's, it patterns like, how fucked up are we talking? He's foobar. Like, foobar. Foobar. Dude, was it the guy's like, you ever broken through a seawall? <laughs> Patton gets hard. <laughs> no, but like, so he's basically sidelined and put in command of the fictional first U.S. Army group. It's a fictional army. Like, the tanks are made of rubber, the jeeps are made of rubber. Oh, I've heard of this. They would yeah. do, like, sta- yeah, they would stage shit. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like from overhead that you had an army there, but you don't. Yeah. Um, and so they, he was put in command of that on the e- on the opposite end where the Normandy landings were. So right where the uh, Pas de Calais is, uh, which the Germans thought, even up through Normandy, that's where we were going to attack. Because well, no, it's the shortest it, distance. No, it makes logical sense. You don't have, you don't need a fucking lot. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. It's a shorter distance to get more shit across. However, Normandy made more sense logistically because there are a lot more harbors in Normandy. Um, They're like, damn it, we don't want to just land here, we want to stay. <laughs> um, but, and also the reason they put Patton there is because the Germans believed that Patton was the best U.S. commander that they had. So it actually made a psychological sense from a psychological point of view where it's like, hey, we're going to put our best what, who the Germans consider our best in this area. So they're like, oh shit, Patton's here. Fuck. Okay, shit's going down. And also, more radio traffic was generated by the fictional army than all of Supreme Allied Headquarters. Yes. So it was like, the deception on the whole Normandy campaign was brilliantly done. Like, I, words cannot even describe like how much of an intelligence masterpiece it was. Like, read about it on your own, watch YouTube videos. Extra credits is a great thing about the intelligence yeah. war. No, and if you want to, no, it was it. Even fuck it, if you want to do movies about really great ways people outthought the Nazis, check out the uh, what was the Imitation Game. Imitation Game, yeah, it's about Alan Turing figuring out the Enigma. Yes, and it's not entirely historically accurate, but it's fun. Yeah, it's it a is. good movie. It is, and you know, all the actors in it are fantastic. Um, isn't the guy who plays? 
um, Tywin Lannister in it? He is. He's the naval commander, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it. Um, Charles yeah. Dance, that's the guy. Charles Dance, yeah. Yeah, who is a fantastic actor. Um, and if you watch Ollie G in the house, you can see him booty dance. That's one of my favorite. Also, he reads, like, really raunchy rap things on, like, um, a British game show. Yes. And it's, he actually does it, it's, he does it straight face, too, and it, that's what makes it even better. I love Charles Dance so much. Yeah, and Kira Knightley's also Bennett Cumberbatch. Kira Knightley, Kira Knightley is fantastic. I love her. You know, definitely had a crush on her during you know Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Was it? I kind of I really liked her in a. It was the soccer one. Oh, Bennett like Beckham. Bennett like Beckham. That was that was a very good movie. I love that. Like, that was. I think she was like under eighteen at that time. Are you serious? Yeah, she, she was still though. in school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were under eighteen at this point. Actually, no, that's true. I was of age to be uh, to be thinking she was pretty. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I think I was like ten or eleven or so. So that would have made me like sixteen. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You I guys. think you were. I think you're around the same age as Kira Knightley. Um, and just as beautiful. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just single, but you know, I'm six foot four. I have <laughs> options. <laughs> I'm single but tenderin'. You know how it be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be tied down right now. <laughs> Speaking of not tying us down right now, do you want to continue with the movie? Yes. So we will be right back. Um, we're going to continue this movie. Honestly, watch this movie. It's one of the best movies you can see. It's really my, like, and this is going to sound weird. I actually do have a lot of George C. Scott movies that I love. This might be my favorite. Yeah. I mean... I would say this is my favorite. The Exorcist 3 is a really close second, though. Oh, uh, for me, it's going to be uh, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, fuck yes. That's my second pick. <laughs> General Turd Ferguson. Yeah. Was that his name? I think so. <laughs> it's been a while since I saw that movie. I think I saw it when I was, I think it was like three years ago, maybe, or so. Oh, so good. Yeah. I think, are we going to have that on a podcast? I think, I mean, it is a war movie. It's it, Cold War, but it's like, that's still a period of conflict, so. No, it's actually like, I like the idea of like, going into those movies of, yeah, this, this is a war that might have happened. Yeah. Watch the movie, though. <laughs> and we're live. Alright, so... When we've just left off... Um, so Patton was put in command, as I said previously, of the first Allied... First U.S. Army group, um, which was a fictitious army that kept an entire German army in the Pas de Calais, where he's just like... They're like... Is, is Patton gonna do something? Is, is, is he gonna do something? Oh no, and he was super pissed, which I love that um, after he just bosses all over Italy. Yeah. They're just like, they now all of a sudden, no one's returning his friend request. <laughs> no one's returning his DMs. No, and he's like super pissed about it. Now he has to do this decoy mission, and he's like, I could really be doing better. Yeah. And, and then, But then it's like, yeah, and, and, and you know, Makes sense because it's like the Germans are like, yeah, he's our best. He's their best commander. Like, that makes sense to, for the shortest landing route. No, I also love that. It, whenever it cuts back to the Germans, they're obsessed with Patton. They're like, yeah. they're gonna use him somehow. And actually, like, it might have been smarter that they stayed away from him. Yeah, because the Germans are just freaking out. They're like, what's Patton gonna do next? What's Patton gonna do next? And it's like, Patton's not the punch you need to be looking for. <laughs> and then. Of course, now, then, you know, after that, he gets returned back to Normandy, and it's basically, like, Brett Bradley, his former subordinate, is now his commander, and he's like, we're thinking about forming a new 
army group, and then his eyes just glow red. He goes, real shit. Yep. <laughs> now, I also love that moment between the two of them, because he was like, he, he mentioned to Pat, and he's like, I didn't vote for this. Ike wanted you. He's like, Eisenhower wanted you here for this. I wasn't about that. He's like, because you're just, you're just as uh, short-sighted as Montgomery. And what was the thing he said about Montgomery that was just brilliant? Oh, no, he's like, it was like, during the, when he was directing the traffic, and he's like, damn it, I know I'm a prima donna, but Montgomery doesn't. Yeah. It's like, not wrong, actually. Like, I also love that he got called out for being a prima donna, and he said, there's a lot of things that I lack, but one of them is ingratitude, and I wouldn't be here without what you did for me. Yeah. Which was nice. Like, instead of, like, going at him, it's like, well, you're an asshole. The patent's like, all right, fine, that's fair. <laughs> fair fair ding complaint, as the Aussies would say. <laughs> yeah, all right. <sighs> Um, but then we have to talk about the weird scene about him kissing the soldier on the officer on the head. That was so weird. Like, I, it, it translated as being very, like, affectionate or in very, like, you know, like sort of a rejection of a toxic masculinity where he comes upon the dude and he's just like completely shell-shocked and instead of slapping this one... Well, he's in combat for like hours upon hours straight. No, he was, and he said, which is even more fucked up by the end of it, it was hand-to-hand combat. And you see like the two soldiers of the German and the American laying there both dead. With just fucking like knives coming out of them and it's like oh shit, you saw some shit. Yeah. And then Patton leans down and kisses him tenderly. Yeah, I'm like... On, on his... And it's like... It's not even on his forehead, it's like on his hairline. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I like it because it's like, hey, you know, mad props to you. You did your you did your duty, son. No, and he... It, 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 I want to say, like, it, you know, it wasn't repressed gay shit, it was just Big Daddy energy. Yeah. Patton... Patton was all about... Big Daddy. The, Patton was big dick energy, like, his entire career. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. And then, okay, so then after this, we get to the Battle of the Bulge. So Battle of the Bulge... So the context behind the Battle of the Bulge, so um, the reason we didn't know about this is the Germans did every all of this by um, radio and telephone and not the Enigma machine. So that's why we never knew about it. So they kind of figured that out. Not really. They never cracked the code, but they were like, they realized like, hey, we're in Germany while we're doing this. We don't need to use the Enigma. Oh yeah, okay. Because like, by this time, the Allies are already on Germany's border. So they're like, well, we don't really need to do this whole kind of, like, long-range frequency kind of yeah, the, encoded message. the whole secret code that we use for U-boats and all of these people outside of. They're all dead. Yeah. Um, but, so the context about this is, like, so the Germans, as the, as the movie says... Also, randomly, can we talk about that one scene where the Germans are just burning all of their intel? Oh, yeah. And there's, like, the one German who's, like, looking off into the middle distance and also, like, cameras focusing on a picture of Patton, and he's like, he will only be destroyed when there is no more war. Basically, I mean, that's the conclusion I've come to, is, like, studying Patton is... Patton would not done well in the Cold War. It's just like, it's like, can I go kill the Russians now? No, George, they have nukes. But, but I want to kill Russians! You know, he was a blunt instrument. Like, yeah. he couldn't, he couldn't function in the Cold War. No. And even, like, yeah, like, I mean, even some of the World War II generals, like, um, one of them who he mentioned, LeMay, he was the commander of the 8th Air Force, um, 8th U.S. Air Force, and he was the chief, I think, of the Air Force during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and LeMay was just like, how about we just do an invasion of Cuba? And Kennedy was like, how about you shut the fuck up? <laughs> and not get our asses killed right now. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, Patton would not have been suitable. Like, if you thought MacArthur was bad during Korea, imagine if Patton was the commander during Korea. It's just like... 
That would have been a whole mess and a half. That different war, very different war. Oh yeah, or Vietnam? Like Vietnam would not have survived as a country, basically. (laughs) It's like, all right, I'm just gonna burn everything. (laughs) Oh, we're at that part of the game, are we? Now where it was it? I'd forgotten. Where was the Battle of the Bulge? Uh, Belgium. So it's in the this region called the Ardennes Forest. It is a very difficult region to get through. It's very heavily heavily forested, so it makes logistics a nightmare. It makes everything kind of a nightmare. In terms of like the worst spots to actually plan a war, not the best. Ironically, I didn't know why the Allies didn't see this coming because this is where the Germans made their punch during the invasion of France in 1940. It's like they actually tried the same spot twice. But so the reason it also didn't go down that well is so this is a place for shattered U.S. divisions to rest, re-equip, get replacements. Uh, replacements in World War II was a term for newly arrived men. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, he's just a replacement. It means like, oh, he's just a new guy, basically. Coming in, like, filling in the casualties and all that kind of stuff. Kurt Vonnegut was actually stationed in the Ardennes, which is how he was captured. Really? Yeah. And then they moved him to Dresden? Yeah. Holy shit. Because they used prisoners of war for, like, clearing bomb damage and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, he was a part, I think, of the 107th Division, like, one of those two regiments that got overrun by the Germans. And so the Germans, this, the, the offensive was originally called in German, Wacht am Rhein. So, watch on the Rhine. Um, and it was a, it was basically a hail mare. So, basically, Germany poured all of their best divisions into this. And we're like, all right, we're just going to lead Roy Jenkins all the way to fucking <laughs> Antwerp right here. Um, through the Ardennes into Antwerp and cut the um, Allied armies in two. Because Antwerp at this point, massive, it's the basically the supply head of the entire Allied army. So if they took Antwerp, Allies can't be supplied, nothing happens. Because then they'd have to go all the way back to Normandy. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. It, it, it would have been the moment. Yeah. Um, so, this, the offensive starts on December 16th. Um, and the Germans, it, it just completely catches the Allies by surprise. It's basically like a surprise Pikachu meme. Where it's just <laughs> like, it's like, you know, Germany punches through the Ardennes in December, on December 16th, 1944. Allies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like... It was, I mean, it was bad. Like, it was bad. Um, and so they punch through, and they drive a good distance. They're, I think they get about, for this extent, it's probably, like, halfway to Antwerp. Um, but, so, and along the way, there's, so, the reason I made the noise about Malmody, so... Yeah, what's up with Malmody? So, at Malmody, the Waffen-SS takes a bunch of Americans prisoners. They just shoot them. They just mow down a bunch of Americans, like hundreds of Americans, and they they're just like not taking prisoners right now. I mean, this is also the Waffen SS. Like the Waffen SS are basically people. These are basically like the diehard Hitlerians. Yes, like these are registered Nazis, card-carrying members of the Nazi Party who are in and are wholly fanatical to Hitler. Like, these guys are like, yeah, we're just gonna fuck shit up for the future. No, unlike Rommel, who we were talking about earlier, who was like, he was... He was, he was a, a professional military man. Yeah, no, but like, not a Nazi, really. Like, I mean, he fought for the Nazis, so obviously... Well, he was he also the head pass, of but... Hitler's military bodyguard. Yeah. But this is like, you know, beginning of his career. This is before Africa or France or any of this kind of stuff. This is like, I think, during Poland. So, er, like, very early war. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they massacre like, it's like close to 300 Americans, maybe maybe more than 300 Americans. And this basically caused the Americans to never take SS prisoners. Like, if they saw an SS, per- SS person surrender, they would just shoot them. Which... I'm not crying not, for that. Not crying for it, but it's like it's also like, you know, war crimes... You know, you shouldn't commit a war crime because of a war crime, but... Okay. 
two two war crimes don't not make don't unmake a war crime. Yeah, it just makes more war crimes. Yeah, the Waffen SS also had an entire division composed of like sixteen year olds. The twelfth SS Panzer Division, called the Hitler Youth Division. So they just straight child soldiered this. Yes. That, like, for some of them that were so young, they would give them candy instead of cigarettes. I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like... I mean, by the end of the war, Germany was basically scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like, we're talking children as young as, like, 12, 14 being conscripted into service, and men as old as, like, 40s, 50s being conscripted into service. Well, no, we had also in Montage that wonderful recurring theme of the Germans would just be t- keeping tally of oh, yeah. all of their dead missing and just as patents bowling through Europe it's just the numbers keep getting higher yeah I mean but a Russian would look at those numbers and be like huh, amateurs yeah they, <laughs> they would say adorable I mean 90% of all casualties when in... we when we get to and this is a deal when we get to enemy at the gates which we will yes we are going to have a very long conversation about the Soviet front and the fuck those engagements yeah I mean and as the, I already explained about Kirsch, and, and like, the numbers that are so high they become ext- abstractions it's like I and my mind's broken. Well, it's a, there's a famous Stalin quote where it's, um, one death is a tragedy, one million deaths is a t- statistic. Yeah. And it's it's gruesome, but it's true, because like, when you see a million people, it's like, my mind can't wrap around that number, so it just becomes like one person in that million. It's just like, okay, it's just a statistic of that. But, I mean, Patton was... And, oh, Operation Cobra. So that's the other operation that, we wanted, that I wanted to talk about. So this is the breakout, the American breakout from Normandy. So it happened... So how it began is basically the Americans just sent all their heavy bombers over the Germans and just pounded them for like three hours with heavy bombers. Then they sent in, you know, attack aircraft so like ground attack aircraft on top of that and also medium and light bombers so it's just like we're just gonna fuck so much shit up but there's just not gonna be anything it's like hey remember that time you thought that blitzkrieg was fun when you thought that like hella planes coming at you was fun we're gonna do that but to you <laughs> the germans are just like yeah we did the blitzkrieg patent comes through hold my beer <laughs> and from the initial bombardment and offensive an entire german division was just wiped out uh, and this is an elite division this is the Waffen SS Panzerlehr Division. It's just gone. And this is one of the crack troops of the uh, German army. Like, these troops have seen, you know, service in the Eastern Front, Poland, France, the Balkans. These are crack troops, like hardened veterans, and they're just gone. And it's just like, fuck. Like, this war is actually lost for us. After Cobra, this led to the Fele's pocket. So basically, so Monty was coming up from the north, and we were driving through the south. And we ended up linking up around the town of Fele's, which is in Normandy. The stench was so bad from all the dead that happened, you could smell it up in the air. Like, pilots would get sick from the air. Like, up in the sky. Yes. like, oh, what? That smells like a bunch of dead things. Yeah. And it was, it was like, I think it was like, I don't know the actual figures. I'm going to look it up real quick. But the Battle of Falaise was just like, so we have the 5th Panzer Army, 7th Panzer Army, Panzergruppen Eberbach. And then for the Allies, we have the 1st Army, which was commanded by Courtney Hodges. 3rd Army, which was Patton's Army. The 1st Canadian Army... Commanded by Harry, I'm not even going to pronounce that last name because it sounds French. (laughs) And then the second army commanded by Miles Dempsey, which is a very British name. Okay, so. This is Patrick Dempsey's great-grandfather. So, they had 14 to 15 divisions active. Approximately 10,000 were killed. 50,000 were captured. 50,000? Yes. And 500 tanks and assault guns were destroyed. So this was like, basically, this just broke the German army in the West. Like, 
after this, it was basically they were just retreating all the way to Germany from France, which is why that, you know, they were able to capture Paris in such quick order and push all the way to the German border before the Battle of the Bulge. Peasants lift their glasses of wine and baguettes and cheers the Germans as they run away saying, so long and thanks for all the war crimes. <laughs> Um, Patton gets the news about this and he's like oh yeah I can send my entire fucking army in like 48 hours and the allies are just like sure about that? Oh I love that scene it's like maybe you'd like to rest and I love that Patton's like maybe I'm the only one who's aware that we can still lose and they're just like well shit George <laughs> now what was that thing that he said where it's like I don't like I don't want to pay or what was it oh I don't want to pay for the same real estate twice yes <laughs> which honestly makes a lot of sense it's like it's like yeah. we have it now why give it up it's yeah. kind like random bit of history aside I think that that was a thing that lost Pompey Magnus the fucking civil war in Rome he's like how about I just leave Rome instead so he just left Rome instead and then never got it back yeah but so Patton turns around so Germans punch through we end up encircling trying to encircle them again so Patton comes from the south Monty's coming down from the north you know it'll be wonderful when they meet you know they love each other these two together again (laughs) these two kids um, and so Patton rolls up, and meanwhile, the 101st Airborne Division is completely surrounded. But Bastogne, the reason that they say Bastogne is such a crucial importance is because Bastogne was basically the crossroads of the entire Ardennes. So all the roads led into Bastogne and led out of Bastogne. So it's like, if the Allies are holding this, the Germans can't do shit with the roads. So it's like, fuck, this entire operation is just logistically impossible. He's holding out in patents like, all right, we just gotta save these boys. Like, save the 101st. And that's where, you know, you get the famous message of um, General McAuliffe, uh, who I think was... I don't think he was even the commanding officer. I think he was like the deputy commanding officer of the 101st. Yeah, he was a one-star general at this point. So he's the deputy commanding officer. And the Germans write him and it's like, hey, you know, we know you're surrounded. Would you like to surrender? And McAuliffe just goes nuts. <laughs> and and that's where the line comes from where it's like, we got to save a man who speaks so eloquently. I love that, <laughs> yeah. that line. And, and this is actually what he said. Like, this is verbatim historically known for what he said to the Germans. And the Germans are just like, the fuck does nuts mean? <laughs> and he's like, and basically the Allies are like, yeah, go fuck yourself. <sighs> and the 101st did a magnificent defense of Bastogne. Like, they held out for, God, close two weeks by themselves. No supply, shitty weather, taking casualties left and right. And they just held that shit. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, the Battle of the Bulge actually still... Just like Stannis Baratheon. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Battle of the Bulge, I think, to this day, is still considered the bloodiest battle of the United States Army. Because there was only Army personnel involved. There was no Marines, there were no Navy, there were... Well, Air Force didn't exist anymore, too. Yeah. So, World War Two. They so, sure as fuck existed later. Only two years later, actually. Yep. Um, but yeah, in World War Two, they were considered the United States Army Air Force. So basically, when I say the 8th Air Force, an Air Force in the U.S. AAF designation is basically like an Army. So the 8th Air Force be like you know Patton's third army basically yeah they relieve Bastogne and Patton drives up he keeps going into Germany they didn't even get into this but Patton upstaged Monty in his Rhine crossing so um he can't he can't help it can he no he really can't he's gotta fuck with this one guy and so (laughs) the beautiful thing about this is so Monty's like all right planning our Ryan crossing, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets a message, I think the day of his planned Ryan crossing, and it's like, yeah, Patton's crossed the night before. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually takes it very well. He's like, okay, cool. Like, we're on the same page here. Like, we just wanted to get across the Rhine. That makes sense. But it's just like a hilarious moment in history where it's just like, fuck you, I do what I want. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's basically George's motto. It's just, fuck you, I do what I want. Uh, yeah, and it seems, and this is the thing I like about this portrayal in film, is that it really is warts and all, and that you see that it is to his detriment sometimes. It is. Like, it is hugely to his de- detriment, like, uh, about 80, I'd say 75% of the time. I do what I want, really, because you just lost a fuck ton of support from your fellow generals. <laughs> yeah. Where we ended, I think, last, so yeah, he keeps driving, Patton drives on for a shit ton of time. I think he drives all the way into Czechoslovakia, is where he ends up. So he drives, like, all the way through southern Germany. Ends up liberating some concentration camps along the way. I'll think, drink to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he liberated Dachau, um, which I had been to. Dachau is a very weird thing because it's like just outside of Munich. It's about a 15-minute train ride, I want to say. And it's this picture-perfect, idyllic little like suburb town in Munich and da-da-da. And it's like you get off the train and then you take like a 10-minute bus ride. And it's like, oh, here's the world's first concentration camp built by the Nazis. And it's just like... Uh... And like this camp actually ran from 1933 to 1945. Like this... It, ran it, it the... opened the year that Hitler took power? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So they were on that tip quick. Yes. And it was me. I mean, it wasn't a death camp like you know Auschwitz or Treblinka or anything like that. This was more of like a work camp. Uh, no, this is more like Manzanar. Yeah. Well, even more brutal. Yeah, worse because Nazis ran it. Um, but it was initially used to hold like communists and other political dissidents of the Reich. Yeah, and so Patton just bursts on through Germany, keeps going, keeps going, and then where we ended up was where he's sitting with a Russian general. Yeah, it looks like a general because he, yeah, he's not a he's not a marshal. Yeah, he, that guy he's sitting with is definitely a higher up. Oh no, he's he's around this equivalent. Rank. He's he's the equivalent rank to Patton. So Patton by this time has also been pinned on his fourth star. So he's a four star general. He's just one rank below Ike. Um, and no no active duty general has ever been promoted above four stars since World War II. Yeah, I think the last, yeah, the last four, five-star general we had was uh, Omar Bradley, who, we didn't mention this before, was uh, the consultant on this movie. An actual World War II general was the consultant for a, World War, a movie about one of his contemporaries. No, I love that, and I also love that he got to watch Carl Malden be him yeah. in a movie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's sitting with this Russian general, and I love the scene where it's just like, you see one of his aides like trying to eat the caviar, and then it's just like, Patton's just like... Yeah, he just side-eyed him so hard, <laughs> and he's like, I guess I won't have caviar then. <laughs> but we also have to talk about the goodest boy in the entire movie, his That's dog. Right. Oh my god. Willie, his dog. He's there. I love that he's there when he's like, we're going to press on. There's just the dog. He's like, oh wait, here, tell you that. And then also when it's like the little dog attacks Willie and Willie's just like. And I then love Pat- that scene so much. And the British woman is like, I am so sorry. Did my little crush. Like, I can't, like, I think she said like Annabelle or yeah. whatever. But it's like she had like this little Pomeranian something. <laughs> Going after this, like, bulldog, and it's like, as soon as the little dog got aggressive, the bulldog was just like, meh. <laughs> and Patton's like, I'm about, I'm about to slap you like I slapped this soldier in Sicily. <laughs> no, he, you know what, he gave that dog, like, I mean, he gave that dog a pass for cowardice. Yeah. God. Uh, of course you give a dog a pass and not a human. That makes yeah. sense, actually. That makes a little sense. No, that, and talk to most people on the internet, they would agree with you. They, yeah. They, if, like, I actually know people who in life have said, I would kill a human before I killed a dog. Oh, same. Honestly, like, it's like, yeah, no. And y'all are scary people. I'm just saying. You shouldn't kill anything, but the fact that it's like, a dog is better. Like, you gotta save those dogs. Because they're the goodest of boys. They are. <laughs> 
They're so good. They are. Um, he but didn't yeah. extend that courtesy to mules, though. No. For sure did not. No. He, they definitely, he definitely personally shot a couple of mules and he dumped them into a river. And meanwhile, and the port- Sicilians are just like, ah. Que cazzo. Que cazzo fi. No Italians, but yeah. It, it, it was a war. You know, people were doing things. Yeah. Well, it's also makes sense where it's just like, look, we're getting strafed and your dumbass is blocking this crucial bridge. That is true. If I gotta choose between my battalion and your mules, yeah. there is no decision. Yeah. It's like, yeah, my men are getting killed because your dumbass is holding up this bridge. And it's like, who told you that today was a good day to take your wares to market anyways? <laughs> God damn it, Guido. <laughs> you were fucking this up for us. <laughs> God damn it, Mario. Uh, um, but yeah, so he's sitting with the Russian and he's... and um, No, it was the thing where it's like, the, the general, the general wish- wishes to have a drink with you. And he's like, I'm not going to drink with any Russians or any of you sorry so- or this some bitch, and it's just like. And then he just looks at the interpreters like, "I'm not gonna say that." He's like, "Oh, you're gonna say that." <laughs> no, he's, he actually says like in the movie, it's like, "Oh, you're gonna say it word for fucking word without the f bomb, of course." Naturally, but and, and then as soon as he said it, the general was like, "Well, you're a son of a bitch too," like the Russian general. And then it's like, "All right, we'll drink one son of a bitch to another." And the Russian general was like, "All right, I'm, I'm down with that." Tight. And it's like, as long as we get to have our vodka. <laughs> no, and it was amazing because it was right after that. I, I also love it so much because I love that Russian dancing. Yes. And they had like the crazy leg kicking dancing in that yeah. whole scene. is awesome. And Patton was just like not tapping his foot. Like he was just like, just fucking arms crossed. And he's just like, I'm not impressed. And I was impressed by how well he had managed to act like he wasn't impressed. Yeah. By the obviously impressive thing that he was beholding. No, I mean, Patton was kind of racist towards the Russians. And in Europe, there's a big distinction. Like, here in America, we have races based on the color of your skin. In Europe, it's mainly based on your ethnicity and nationality is what your race is. So that's why you hear, like, you know, Hitler say, like, oh, the German race, or, you know, the German people. And it's like, yeah. And then, you know, your ethnicity, your geography. Because it's like, yeah, it makes sense that races would be like that in Europe. Because it's like, yeah, you cross over from one country to another and it's like, you know, a seven hour drive. And it's like, oh shit, this is a completely different language and culture. Yeah. Cool. I guess we're doing this now. No, they're so completely different that like somehow, despite the fact that it's a landmass that's like smaller than North America, yet somehow smaller portions of it, like countries that aren't as big as California, have a national identity that's way stronger than we as Californians have. Although, to I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just think it's weird that some, like a thing that small could still hold on to Frenchness. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you, you could pick better countries than French for terms of national identities. You could. Yeah, uh, and it's it, it's just a weird thing to me where it's like, you know, yeah. Europe is like, it's, it's just such a small version of like chunks of land that are so small that I don't understand why they're not a whole country, but that's because I'm an American. Yeah. Well, it's also weird, like, having been to Europe, I'll be like, Tell people, like, yeah, the distance from, you know, San Francisco to New York is the same as New York to London. And, pe- and Europeans will just be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't, what? And it's like, yeah, like, America is huge. Like, and, like, even, like, here in America, like, yeah, we have regional differences. So it's like, you know, you have, like, the South. And even within, like, these regions, you'll have different things. Or it's like, yeah, in the South, you have differences between, like, you know, Louisianans and South Carolina, Carolinians and, you know, Georgians and Virginians and, you know, and then on the West Coast, you'll have differences between, you know, Californians and, you know, Oregonians or, you know, Montanans and, you know, people from Wyoming or, you know, well, 
also, on the East Coast particularly, you'll have more distinct differences even between states, which is more like, you know, it's like, you know, Massachusetts and New York, or, you know... Um, no, you could, like, there's entire bits you can do with accents between those two states. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, even, like, different accents within, like, class groups. Like, you know, you have, like, the upper crust JFK Bostonian accent, and then you have, like, the departed kind of, like, working class South yeah. Boston accent. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, Patton, Patton was not the biggest fan of the Russians. Oh, then he also says, like, the whole Anglo-Saxons are destined to rule the world. Yeah, it's like, Ooh, maybe not. And then, like, his aide is just like, don't forget the Russians! <laughs> For the love of God! <laughs> Which, really, at that point, it would just be rude, considering everything that the Russians had done up until that point. Yeah. Um, but because of the Battle of the Bulge, getting back to this, Germany basically had no crack troops to defend Berlin when the Soviets came and knocked it. It was just like, where the fuck are our troops? Oh, right, they died in the... Battle of the Bulge. He spent them all. Fuck. That moment from the last episode of Game of Thrones where Cersei realizes that all the scorpions have been taken out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's This is going to go hard on me. We're almost to the end of the movie. Um, I'll just end up, like, end it right here about what ha- ended up happening to Patton. So Patton, end of the war, he ends up becoming, I think, governor of part of Germany. Like, the governor general, basically. And he gets fired for keeping on, like, former Nazis, Nazi officials, in this thing. Ooh. But it's like, we did the exact same thing later. No, that's Project Paperclip. That's a thing yeah. that happened. But it's like, this is like, right in 45. So it was like, we were still trying to do our whole denazification thing and all that kind of stuff. But then it's like, we realized later, like, oh shit, these people actually know how to government. Whoops. Well, no, the problem there is also they had already been doing it. Yeah. Like, how do you run Germany? Unfortunately, talk to the psychotic who was running it before. I have a plan. (laughs) Oh, I know about your fucking plans. You might want to tone them down and maybe you can get the water running again. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, so he ends up becoming governor general of Germany ends up being dismissed, sent back home. He gets a big parade, because, you know, it's fucking Pat, of course. Yeah. Um, but then I think, when he comes back to Germany, he's getting all of his stuff in order. He's driving around, and he ends up getting into a car accident. And then he ends up dying, like... In a car accident. Yeah. Well, this is also before airbags and seatbelts. No, it was. And he smashed I'm, his head. I'm just thinking about the motherfucker who I saw on a battlefield. No, it's just like, it, it's the thing where it's like, I mean, we can talk about it if we ever get to talking about T.E. Lawrence and Lawrence right. of Arabia, but like, the fact that that motherfucker survived so much to die in a motorcycle accident is almost funny. Well, it's also it's, like... It's weird. Well, it's like, but it's great that he ended that way, because like, post-World War II, he would have not done well. So it's like, it's good that he went out when he did yeah, that German with the strange faraway eyes was right. He was like, no, as soon as this guy doesn't have a war, he's going to implode. Yeah, yeah. He And he got in a car, he ended up hitting his head on the windshield and then died. And then there's a very sad picture where it's, you just see his dog laying on his stuff. And it's just like, no, oh, the goodest of boys. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's one of the saddest pictures you can ever see. And the dog's like looking super despondent. It's just like, oh, it's, also, randomly, the biggest bro dog I've ever seen. It kind of looks like Spuds McKenzie. And it's the same breed as Spuds McKenzie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's like a bull terrier, I want to say. Patton, you know, fantastic journal. It's a fantastic movie. Read more about Patton. Um, I'm going to give it four stars. I mean, I've seen this movie probably like three or four times. So, yeah, four stars. As many stars as Patton has is on, a, on his rank. I feel like that's appropriate. Yeah. Now, and it, there's also... 
like the actor I've seen Patton before but I'm way more familiar with George C. Scott from right. uh, from that and also from fucking The Exorcist 3 right I mean for reason. me it was that and then also Doctor Strange Love so good yeah I mean he, he also plays a he plays yeah. like a parody of himself in that movie well, it's also, his, the parody he's trying to do is Curtis LeMay, the guy who's like, let's invade Cuba during the missile crisis. <laughs> so he's parrying Curtis LeMay, who served in World War II alongside Patton, and then he ended up playing Patton. You know, it's just full circle over here. It is. But tune in next time. What movie do we want to do next? You know what? Fuck it. We did this. We, we did the Americans this week. Do you want to do the Soviets next time? Enemy at the Gates? Enemy at the Gates. Okay, we'll do tune in next time for Enemy at the Gates. It's not the most accurate movie about Stalingrad. I will give you that much. No. It's a very enjoyable movie. If you want an actual good movie about Stalingrad, there is a German movie called Stalingrad. Very hard to get a hold of, but I recommend that you watch it because it basically tells the German perspective on Stalingrad, which is not fun at no. all. <laughs> and spoiler alert for the Germans, 90,000 people ended up going into captivity. 10,000 made it back to Germany in 1955. Oh, what a grand armée. Ah. <laughs> 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 Look, you should have been a con. If you were a con, this would have been ha- this would have it would have gone better for you. Yeah. All right. So tune in next time um, for our next episode on Enemy at the Gates. This has been Booze and Bullets. Booze and Bullets, and we will see you next time. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> Bullets and Booze has been a production of Mirror's Own Media. Please like and subscribe, and follow us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.